0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host,
1: Mike Adams.
2: And hello everyone, welcome to Adams on Agriculture coming to you today from New Orleans, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association convention going on, big attendance here, over 8,000 and more coming in still. So uh, they may have a record crowd here at NCBA this year. Uh joining us to start off our program today and again we'll be broadcasting today and tomorrow from here at the NCBA convention. Joining me now is Austin Arnt. Uh he is from Wisconsin, Janesville, Wisconsin and is part of the NCBA Young Beef Leader Program. Austin, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about this program and uh, uh what it means to you as a as a young person in the beef industry.
3: Sure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, the YBL program is set up very similar to how the regional VPs are set up. There's, there's seven regions within NCBA, and each region has a um, YBL representative. So when you come here to
2: convention, uh, what is it uh, that you are involved in, the, the types of meetings uh, and events that the, this program offers you?
3: Um, our convention really started for us eight months ago when we started right. with the planning. Yeah. So YBL is responsible for lining up a lot of the speakers and programming um, that is here for young producers. Um, we had a reception last night for young producers to network, uh, get to know people from other, other parts of the uh, country. Today we have a summit, a leadership summit, with Tim who who is here. Um, He founded AgGrad, so it's another opportunity for young producers, whether you're still in college or you're right out of college and you're thinking of a career or branding yourself and how to become a part of the industry and how to network with with other people that are in the industry.
4: I
2: was just going to say, networking must be a big part of this and uh, giving you the kind of a, a support group kind of, right, as a, a young person in the industry.
3: Yep, absolutely. And I might almost be on the little older end. I don't always understand that. but. Um, it's almost sometimes not what you know it's it's who you know and just you need that one connection to get your foot in the door somewhere and it can make all the difference. Tell us a little bit about your operation there in Wisconsin. I'm a third generation uh, row crop and feedlot back in Janesville Wisconsin it was started by my grandfather Um, I said my brother and I now are the third generation that have came back to the family farm. Mm -hmm. Plenty of challenges uh you were kind of,
2: as you said, being the third generation. It was kind of already going, but the challenge is to keep it going and carry on that that tradition. Uh, what are your thoughts on being a, a young person in agriculture today, in the beef industry in particular?
3: Well, I guess I I'm pretty lucky that my grandfather started it, and my my father was able to. Um, you know, farm his whole life, and he's getting ready to pass that down to the next generation. Because if you do have to start out from scratch, it is possible, but it's a really, it's a really long road to get going. So, if you do have some assets and some stuff that you can start out with, you're not covered in a mountain of debt, and you can get going. Um, I think the challenges are not a lot of different than other generations have um, faced. You know we still have a lot of market volatility. Um, there's still I mean financial issues that you have to deal with. Um, there's still animal health issues. There's still disease issues in, in, in crops. There's, there's always I feel like the same core issues that every generation has to deal with. It might just be in, in a different way. And having
2: Others to talk to that have been through the ups and downs, the cycles of the business. Does that help you to know? Hey, this has happened before. This is how people have dealt with before. Maybe that can help me through this too.
3: Yes, absolutely. I think that it. I think that it does. I said it might not be the same little, the same type of issue, but I think the same fundamentals would apply um, as they did before to now. Mm-hmm when you look at
2: some of the issues facing the industry uh... whether it's with trade or whether it's uh... you know with regulations or whatever uh, h- as a young person how do you view that i mean and how important is it to be involved in an organization that that's working on your in your behalf on some of those issues
3: Well, number one i would view that as an opportunity um, two it's extremely important to be involved um, if, you don't have a seat at the table, um, you have no control over what, what might happen. So coming to a industry event like this, where NCBA is a grassroots organization, all the policy that the Washington DC staff carries out for us the next year is all voted on in committee meetings here. It comes at, It comes from producers here today.
2: When you look at your operation and you look at the direction the industry is going, uh, how do you a- adapt to the changes, the new technology, and and what's available to you?
3: I would I would say that you have to one you have to have the willingness to adapt or the willingness to look outside the box at things from different angles because I mean nothing's ever. A turnkey nothing's ever just that cut and dry it's it's farming it's agriculture right so you just have to have the willingness to to look at things from different ways and then if weigh weigh some pros and some cons and if you think something might work in your operation then you have to I guess you have to have the, the courage to try it and what might work for me might not work for the neighbor that's 10 miles down the road or the next next one that's 10 miles down the road
2: do you ever have those conversations with your family and uh, you know being third generation they say well that's not how we've done it in the past and you're saying but this is how I want to try to do it now
3: Yeah absolutely I think every I think everyone faces those and you you try to have those conversations maybe earlier in the day instead of at night after you were in the field all day and something broke down and you don't start throwing wrenches and hollering and (laughs) that kind of stuff. I think all family businesses have had to deal with, with some of that too.
2: Are you optimistic about the the future in the, in the beef industry?
3: Absolutely. I guess I wouldn't be here if I wasn't optimistic about it. Um, I think there's a lot of great opportunities that our generation of beef producers is, um, going to have access to, uh, international trade global markets that's going to be that's going to be huge for us going forward Um, we could we can greatly increase the success of our industry uh, the more we can develop our international markets
2: and being a promoter being a, a an advocate for your industry speaking out on those issues educating consumers
3: yes yep absolutely i mean there's we everyone always talks about the disconnect between producers and consumers and it's not getting any you know it's not getting any better everyone we just keep getting more distant and more distant as as it goes so it, it is our job to make sure that we can we can try to get back in touch with with our consumers and we need to listen to what our consumers want.
2: All right, Austin, thank you very much, and and best of luck to you.
3: Yep, thank you. All right.
2: Austin Arndt, he's uh, from Wisconsin, a producer from Wisconsin, part of the NCBA Young Beef Leader Program. All right, stay with us. Much more to come from here in New Orleans at the NCBA convention. Stay with us. This is AOA, Adams on
5: Agriculture.
0: Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and week in review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa?
6: Play my flash briefing.
0: Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday.
2: Welcome to Adams on Agriculture.
0: Or you can search for the American Ag Network.
7: This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill.
0: Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device
1: can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that.
7: How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site.
1: Our geeks literally
0: come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office.
1: get started now and we'll help you instantly call 855-801-2854 855-801-2854 that's 855-801-2854 a powerful threat
8: calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem
1: Seek answers. When there is doubt. Give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be
2: faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. Can be part of this battle, too.
5: Visit standuptocancer.org to learn more.
8: Together, we can save lives. Information
0: America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
1: Now, back to Mike Adams.
2: And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture, broadcasting today from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association in convention going on here in New Orleans. Glad to have with us the incoming president of uh, NCBA, Jennifer Houston. Jennifer, first of all, you have to be very happy with this turnout—over 8,000 and more coming in.
4: Oh, we're excited! New Orleans is a special city, a special place, and what a what a place to celebrate the cattle industry. So, as all these people come in, escape some of that cold and weather from up north, we welcome them to the busy easy.
2: (laughs) I was uh, talking to you about moving into the presidency uh, of NCBA. Lots of challenges, lots of issues to deal with, but lots of opportunities. I, I feel some optimism here among beef producers.
4: I, I do too. It's a very exciting uh, buzz around the and, you know, I think trade are some real opportunities that we have this year as we're working with the administration to continue and push them to get the bilaterals worked out with Japan and, and work on China and the UK and the European, and European Union. If we can get some of that done, it's going to be a good year for beef producers. Yeah. Uh those are there's
2: those are huge for the industry moving forward on trade, but you've also got some uh regulatory issues and some things going on uh, here in the U.S. that you have to deal with as well?
4: We do. With the new uh, announcement of the new Waters of the U.S., we were there for that signing back in the fall. We know that it will be challenged by some activists, so we've got to really keep with the administration because it gives our farmers and ranchers some certainty about what's on their farm, whether it is a Waters of the U.S., whether it's not. We'll continue to work on hours of service. Uh, if you're not riding the beef belt and even some of those folks, it really affects you. I'm from the southeast. All of our cattle travel a long way. We've got to look for that permanent solution. Until then, we'll keep asking for and hopefully getting delays until we can find out what really works, both for the well-being of the animals and the safety of our drivers and everybody else.
2: Those types of issues are are critical, and they're they're issues that maybe a lot of people don't think about. But when you're when you're moving uh, a perishable product, uh, in the case of cattle, these are these are critical issues for this industry
4: right you know it takes I think 14 hours and it the driver has to stop so if he has to stop maybe he's not a place where he can get off the road where he can water the cattle whether he can let them rest so uh, it's it is very different than hauling a load of uh, tissue paper or whatever else that you can stop and let the driver rest. so there's a lot of uh, animal welfare issues that we have to deal with because these are living breathing animals that we have to take care of. So it's, uh, and I think we've had a education process in DC this year, and I think people are starting to understand it's not an easy solution or we would have already had one, but I think they are starting to understand that we're a different, uh, literally a different animal from any other kind of transportation.
2: We're talking with Jennifer Houston, the incoming president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Uh, A big part of the farm bill that didn't always get a lot of uh, publicity or attention but I know was critical for the livestock industry it was the establishment of that vaccine bank. I know that, that was important for this industry looking forward.
4: Uh, the uh, permanent authorization and funding for the Foot and Mouth Disease Bank was our number one priority for NCBA because we know that we're not really, or we feel that we're not adequately prepared if we had that outbreak, and so to get that permanent authorization, some funding will continue to work each year for more funding so that our producers are prepared in the event, you know, we're a global society, people flying in and out of planes all the time, and so we have to be even more vigilant now than we did years ago uh, to protect ourselves in the event something like that happens.
2: And even with all the precautions and all the security measures, I mean, we're still vulnerable to, as you said, because of the world in which we live and the, the movement around, I mean, that possibility of a disease outbreak is always there.
4: I think we have to be ever vigilant. Uh, we have to to hope that our border security guys are looking uh, really close as people come in and out, but I think we as, as an industry as cattle producers have to think about, you know, what are the food safety and food security plans on our farms and ranches and you know, and to think about what would happen if we had these not not only foot and mouth, but some other disease we might not even think about. What would happen to our markets? What would happen to our borders? We own a livestock auction market. You know, how long will it shut it down? How far? Fifty miles, hundred miles? Uh, our exports would be shut down in event of a terrible outbreak. So we are vulnerable, but I think we have to prepare ourselves and and go forward as best we can.
2: When you talk with producers from around the country, what are the issues? most on their mind. What do they say to you? This is what we need NCBA to work on for us.
4: I think really the hottest topic right now is uh, fake meat, we call it, Mm -hmm. cell cultured meat. I think there is a lot of interest. People want to know more about it. It's a a little frightening to them because it is so new and we don't really know Uh, The ins and outs are truly even what the technology means. So that's probably the number one issue when I go from state to state that people want to talk about or they want to hear an update. I think we have really worked hard to stay ahead, not really just on top, but ahead of this situation by working on um, who gets to have regulatory oversight. We worked on that all year. We feel we're in a pretty good place that USDA will have oversight of the um, inspection and everything else as well as pre-approval on the labels you know what we want we're not against technology but we want a level playing field and that's what our beef producers want us as the ncba to be looking out for them in that area
2: such a challenge when you look at the industry across the country there are some similar issues but there are certainly regional differences uh, uh, so what may be a hot issue for one part of the country a producer uh, in another part of the country it might be a, another Issues so that's part of the challenge, isn't for your organization to be able to represent all of them.
4: It is, and we do represent all aspects of the beef industry. But sort of one of the things I've found as I've traveled, and sort of my theme I think for the year is going to be there's a lot more that unites us than divides us, and so let's really focus on all the issues that we do agree on: transportation, uh, exports. Um, the fake meat work to work to move our industry forward in that and then we can work out our differences we can uh, but we do have we're you know united we've got to be we've got to be united we are small enough uh, percentage of the population that we must stand together yeah
2: you mentioned those differences I mean a big part of the history and tradition of the beef industry is the independence that's a, <laughs> that goes with it and and, and uh, producers in different parts of the country uh, like that independence so uh, to make sure that diversity doesn't tear you apart but work together. I talk about that a lot. That's what we need for the country to make sure the diversity is our strength and not our weakness.
4: Absolutely, and that's the value of a grassroots organization, is that we can come together at meetings like this cattle Industry Convention as we go into our policy meetings tomorrow, we can talk about these things, we can disagree, and we can come to a consensus, not to say we're all going to ever agree, we're probably not, because we do see it from our own viewpoints, you know, whether you're in the, you know, the upper northwest, or the deep south, are more uh, heavily populated, but like I said, certainly there are things that we have got to stay together on. We did a lot of work over the last couple of years on taxes, and, and those kind of things that I think we can find our common ground. And then we can seek to find solutions to the other things.
2: Of course, a hot topic for the country right now is the border issue. You have members that are on that border. What do you hear from them?
4: Well, they're, they're certainly concerned. Uh, what I've been hearing lately is that it's escalating. And I don't I want to think a lot about that because I'm from Tennessee, you know, obviously we got lots of borders, but they're with other states. But I'm hearing more and more from people in, in on the border that it is, it is getting worse. And I think we need to you know, stand with the president that we get something done. But on the other hand, we need immigration for our farms and our ranches. And so we have to, to seek to find a, a good solution, a permanent solution for all of that
2: the the ag labor issue is a critical one as well for all of agriculture
4: it is we de- we depend on um, people that come across the borders and immigrants and we want uh, I want a way and I think we all do to allow them to work and be be citizens and to do their work and to help us out and to help feed this country uh, in a legal and fair way
2: Jennifer, what is your your vision for the beef industry? Where do you see this industry going in the next uh, 10, 20 years?
4: I'm very optimistic with the amount of domestic demand that we have, as well as the international demand, and with a growing middle class across the world, especially in Asia, I think we've got a bright future. I see, a, um, as I travel, more and more young people uh, at our conventions and our meetings, and I think they're, they're bringing a passion, excitement, and a wealth of new ideas so i think the sort of the future is wide open for the beef industry
2: you see the structure of the industry changing much
4: uh, in some instances maybe um it that's going to depend a lot on where you are mm-hmm. uh you know in the south where i'm from with lots of small producers maybe not as much as it is in a more heavily uh cattle rich area but uh, yeah Because new ideas always bring new things, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what they come up with.
2: And getting back to that representing all, you have to be able as an organization to represent the small producer and the larger producer.
4: We do it and I think we do I think we really do a good job of that. And that's why, you know, you have a voice here, whether you've got, you know, five cows or, or five thousand and you have the same voice. You're you're a member, you're a producer, and we, we listen and we talk and when we have our policy discussions, we when we talk about policy issues, how does it what are the implications for the different size operations or the different geographical areas of the country?
2: Challenges, but also opportunities ahead for the beef industry. Jennifer Houston will be the president this coming year for NCBA Best of luck to you.
4: Thank you for having me on.
2: All right Stay with us. We have more coming up here from the NCBA convention going on in New Orleans. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on agriculture
5: Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800 664 2612.
0: Time now for a market check. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For livestock at the Merck, we've got a narrow mix in live cattle futures while feeder cattle are drifting 5 to 25 cents lower. Cash cattle country slow to start this morning. Asking prices around 126 to 127 in the south, 200 to 203 dressed in the north. So far, just a few scattered bids being seen in Texas on a live basis at 121. February live cattle an hour into the day at 126.10, down a nickel. Feeder cattle march down 12 cents at 144.17. April down 7 cents per hundredweight at 145.75. Narrow mix and lean hog futures February up 2 cents per hundredweight at 57.50. April down a dime at 62.12. Cash expectations steady weaker today. For the grain and oil seed sector, an early mix on a Thursday session. USDA released its weekly export sales totals for the week ending December 20th this morning. The first export sales data to come out of USDA since the government shutdown began last month. Soybean exports came in Better than analysts were expecting, doubling analyst estimates according to the Wire Talk. March soybeans up three and a quarter at 924 and a quarter. November up two and three quarters at 962 and three quarters. Down two and a half cents at 378 and three quarters. December new crop down a penny and a half at 402 and a quarter. Chicago wheat march up to 518 and three quarters. Kansas City march down a fraction at 502. Minneapolis spring wheat March down a quarter of a cent at 571 and a quarter the Dow down 69 S&P up 13 NASDAQ up 64 March crude oil in New York up 96 cents you're listening to Adams on Agriculture presented by the American Ag Network I'm Rusty Halverson
5: sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not cherish the good but always be prepared for life's challenges and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612, 800-664-2612.
0: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
2: And welcome back to Adam's on Agriculture from New Orleans, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention. Joining me now, Colin Woodall, Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, lots going on right now. We have trade talks going on in Washington this week with China. Uh, So much happening on the trade front. Uh, We're still dealing with tariffs on Mexico and and Canada on steel and aluminum. Uh, Possible talks with, you know, things with the EU, with Japan. There's a lot of possibles out there, but we need to see some uh, definites, don't
8: we? Uh, definitely. There is a lot of possibles, and it's it's still very optimistic on what we can achieve here in terms of uh, getting actual deals done. Uh, even though there's a flurry of activity, as you said, we need to put some some real uh, marks up on on the board, and we haven't done that quite yet. Now we are patient because we know that these talks do take a long time to work out. And history shows us that, you know, you just look at what we did with the South Korean agreement, the course agreement. You know, it took six years to get that course agreement up and running. Uh, so we have to just keep that in mind. And also when you look at just the, the recent past and uh, in terms of the signals that have been sent to the trading partners, um, not everybody is necessarily all that motivated to sit down to make things happen fast. So that's also something we're trying to be cognizant of.
2: When we look at China, and there's so much talk about China, what may or may not happen, of course, we think a lot about soybeans. But from a beef standpoint, what
8: is the uh, potential of that Chinese market? You know, the potential in this Chinese market is tremendous. If we take down the barriers that are currently in place, the ban on implant hormone use, ban on beta, beta agonists, and we try to structure our access similar to what we have with South Korea and Japan, uh, the U.S. Meat Export Federation has told us that could be a $4 billion market, and that's twice as big as our current number one market, which is Japan. So we're talking about a significant increase for us as an industry in terms of uh, export potential.
2: Speaking of Japan, if we could get a bilateral or if we were in something similar to the OTP, old proposed TPP that the U.S. pulled out of and now has moved on without the United States. Uh, How important would that be to get something done? I mean you mentioned Japan's already a key market. How much better would that make it?
8: Well right now the question is will our competitors in Japan, namely Australia and Canada, now that they have the TPP advantage, (laughs) will they start taking away our market share? And we believe so because at the end of the day the Japanese consumers like the American consumer they not want something but as long as it's too expensive they're gonna to have to go elsewhere and so we're gonna be monitoring that very closely and that is the question can we in a bilateral agreement be able to basically catch up to the TPP countries and we don't know so before you can expand a market mm-hmm. you have to
2: maintain the market share you already had, and that's what we're at risk of losing in Japan.
8: That's exactly what we're uh, at risk of losing. You know, we're talking about a a 12 to 14 percent tariff advantage uh, today as we talk. That's only going to get wider throughout this year and over the next 15 years. So that's why we have to uh, get this done. We can't wait for six years to negotiate this deal like we did with South Korea, or we truly will see the erosion of our market share in that uh, very critical market. USMCA,
2: uh, as we head towards that path of getting a vote on that, I mean, it, it sounds more and more like, one, the tariffs on steel and aluminum with Canada and Mexico need to be lifted. And then you're still going to have some challenges to get this thing passed.
8: And that's right. It's going to be a big lift to get this passed in the Congress because, you know, this is, was a priority of the president. Uh, we're not so sure that the speaker is going to be interested in giving the president any wins as we have seen here over the past couple of weeks. So it is going to take a lot of effort from those of us on the constituent side to try to push the members in the House to get this thing done. Uh, but as you said, even if that happens, there is a question as to whether the Canadian government and the Mexican government will ratify this without a, uh, a definitive answer on releasing or relieving the pressure from these tariffs, these still tariffs.
2: And then there's the, the risk and already the president
8: has threatened of pulling us out of NAFTA. We're back to where we were when all this started, really, that possibility. You know We're watching that very closely because right now we are still operating under NAFTA and it's still good for us in the beef industry as Canada and Mexico remain two of our top export markets. But if he does make the decision to pull out, that truly is a game changer in this discussion, mm-hmm. uh, not only for us as industry, but also I think it's a game changer for the speaker and, of course, Leader McConnell and how they address this. Now, as far as the EU,
2: I've, I've said all along, this has got to be maybe the heaviest lift of all when it comes to trade deals, and they're all hard to do, as you pointed out. But we have so much baggage with the EU, so many contentious issues that have been around for years and years and years,
8: and the beef industry are right at the forefront of that. And of course, when we're talking about the EU, the first thing that comes to mind is the ban on implant hormones, which has been in place for almost 30 years now, we've challenged the WTO, we have won that case twice, but it still has not been enough to take that down. But I think the bigger hurdle we're trying to overcome is the continued rhetoric out of the EU that they don't want agriculture to be a part of this deal at all. And so all of us on the agriculture side, especially all the groups in Washington, D.C., have made it very clear if there's no agriculture, there's not going to be an agreement. Because one thing that agriculture can do is we can pass or we can kill trade agreements. Mm-hmm. And I think the president understands that. Ambassador Dowd, Ambassador Lighthizer, uh, both understand that. So I think that's going to help us continue to uh, strengthen their message back to the EU that no agriculture, no deal. So as we said, there is a lot of potential.
2: If all this falls into place. It could be very, very good for agriculture in general,
8: beef industry in particular. But there are a lot of ifs, a lot of a lot of hurdles yet to overcome. Uh, there's there's only ifs, but we have to keep in mind that the fact that we are having the talks is a yeah. good thing, because we'll just take the uh, Japanese example. Uh, we were not expecting the talks to be this far along, and they they are. So that is a good sign.
2: We're talking with Colin Woodall for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Let's go to some other issues, the fake meat issue, lab meat, imitation meat, whatever you want to call it, but uh, getting um, the rules in place there that that puts everything on a a level playing field when it comes to competition, marketing, and things like that. I know that's what you're really working hard
8: on. That was a huge victory for us in 2018. in, in the livestock uh, industry to put pressure on the White House to actually put in place a regulatory regime on these products. Now the decision made it uh, all the way to the White House and the decision that came out of that was that FDA would have a role in looking at the overall safety of the process. But yet USDA, specifically the Food Safety and Inspection Service, they would have the primary jurisdiction in regulating that product on a daily basis. We're happy that that product will, treated, will be treated the same way that our products are treated. I think the big win in of that is that uh, FSIS will also approve the labels. So we won't have to worry about a clean meat label being affixed to this product as long as USDA has a say in it.
2: And again, it's not, not that you're wanting more competition, but you're not saying they shouldn't have
8: a, a, a product out there, but that if they're going to that they have to follow the same rules, right? We like science, we like innovation, we like new technologies in the cattle business. So from that perspective, we're not against their, their product, we're not against their ability as a company using free enterprise to bring something new to the market. Uh, you're right, the point was, if they're going to operate within the meat space, then they need to be regulated like everybody in the meat space. Let's switch to another key topic, hours of service. Where does that stand? So we have been able to exempt livestock from implementation of electronic logging devices and they, uh, that's going to last throughout the uh, rest of this fiscal year. And then, of course, I do believe we'll be able to continue to do that over the next uh, couple of fiscal years. And, you know, a way to just buy us a little bit more time to address the underlying issue. And the underlying issue is hours of service, service for livestock haulers. Ideally, an animal should get on a trailer and shouldn't have to get off again until it gets to its next stop. It's a humane uh, handling issue. It's an animal welfare issue. And so we have a petition at DOT right now to extend the hours of service for livestock haulers from 11 to 15 hours. Uh, it's not everything that we need, but it's an incremental step. And so we do believe anything that we can do to be able to uh, prevent those animals from having to be offloaded and then reloaded again is going to be uh, beneficial for this industry. Other
2: issues, waters of the U.S., that's that's another issue. Uh, that process continues but we're we're seeing again how long that process can be
8: well that's right i mean when you look at the divided congress that we have we don't expect much out of congress that means we're going to spend our time on the regulatory rollbacks and the one that has been at top of our list since this administration came into power has been waters of the united states now uh, acting administrator wheeler has uh, he has put his rule out there it's out for comment we will be making some comments but where he is going and his intent is exactly where we wanted, and that is to protect private property rights and to make sure that the Clean Water Act is focused on navigable waterways and not farm ditches. Yeah. And the rule that they have proposed
2: seems to be clearer, more common sense.
8: We think that it is. Uh, they took a lot of feedback from all of us in agriculture. Uh, now it's a matter of submitting comments to tweak a few uh, final little pieces. See that final rule here this spring and after that we can take this off the shoulders of producers across the country now we know it's going to get litigated the activist groups will sue on the final rule but we do believe that this has been crafted in a way that epa can defend it and of course all of us in agriculture will help epa defend it
2: yeah that's what it stood out to me we finally have an issue here instead of being adversaries with uh, EPA. Agriculture can actually work with
8: EPA on this one. We used to tell our members that EPA stood for eliminating production agriculture and with this administration that's not the case. They ask for our input, and they see us as part of the solution, not part of the problem. That's that's a nice change, isn't it? Uh, It's a great change. We welcome that, and it has been really good to talk about proactive ways where agriculture can help with environmental quality, uh, and then also knowing that when there are regulations that are required, that they're willing to work with us to make sure that they are not as onerous as regulations we have seen in the past. Colin, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Colin Woodall, Vice President Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's
2: Beef Association from here in New Orleans at the NCBA convention. Stay with us. More coming up here on AOA.
1: At a medical emergency away from home. What you need is mobile help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only... You get help outside the home with coverage nationwide... ...networks at the press of
4: a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that.
1: Call mobile help now for a free color brochure the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure that's 800-930-6137 again 800-930-6137 you should own a thermal Spas unique built-in thermo filtration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance call to receive a free dvd and brochure and find out how you can own a thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day right now they're offering zero percent apr financing with a savings coupon including free delivery free chemicals and a cash discount
0: Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture, or hear the top news and week in review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa?
6: Play my flash briefing.
0: Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday.
2: Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again.
0: Or you can search for the American Ag Network.
7: This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill.
0: Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device
7: are you thinking about buying medicine online a search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results but which ones can you trust medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous you may get a fake drug your condition may get worse or you may experience a bad reaction don't put your health at risk to learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal visit fda.gov slash be safe rx a message from the u.s food and drug administration My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early, like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk.
2: 180 over 110 and I had a stroke and I'm 33 so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise diet and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org.
1: I had to toe everything's changed Head to
2: toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association and the Ad Council. <laughs>
0: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
2: And welcome back to the NCBA convention here in New Orleans. Uh, We're talking now with Scott Yeager. He's the Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Uh, Some key environmental uh, issues and things we wanna bring you up to date on. Uh, One that we've mentioned earlier in the program but wanna talk a little bit more about and that's waters of the US. Scott, we have this proposed new rule uh, Where do we
6: stand with it now and what do you see as the timeline for WOTUS? (laughs) The timeline's critical, right? Everything's on the clock. Mm -hmm. So with something like the government shutdown that we just experienced, that delays the ability of this administration to get done these regulatory reform priorities like WOTUS. So the new rule was proposed. Now, let me me backtrack Mm -hmm. and change my wording, because it actually wasn't proposed, it was announced. There's a difference there. Announced meant Wheeler got up on the stage, and we had our president there, and we had our top officers there, and Farm Bureau had all their people there to to be there for the announcement, but it hasn't officially hit the federal register, and until that happens, it's in limbo, and because the shutdown, that was an additional 35 days that didn't hit the register because the government wasn't there to put it in the register. So now that it's back up and running, we're hoping to see that in the in the register, and then from there you're going to have a comment period of 60 days to comment on. And then it goes through this administrative process that we all love and know in D.C., but outside the beltway people are like, why does this take forever? And it's just because there's all these checks and balances on how the federal agencies do their business, and it's called the Administrative Procedure Act. So it has to go through that process. We're going to comment on it in support of it. We think it's a lot better than the 2015 Obama-era WOTUS rule. Now, is it perfect? It's not perfect. Right. There's going to be things in there that we're going to need to tweak and try to get better between proposal and finalization. But by and large, this is a lot better than the old rule. And why is that? It's because it gets ephemerals out of federal jurisdiction. And ephemeral features are those, that, those dry features uh, that convey water after a rainstorm or a snow melt. So that might, that might be a, a ditch or a gully on your operation that's been dry all year, but you got a big rainstorm and now it's flowing water to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That would have been federally Regulated under the 2015 rule, that is now out under the Trump administration's new water proposal. So that's something we're very happy about. It's a big change, and it's going to help get some of these crosshairs off our producers and farmland.
2: Legal challenges are expected. Do we know how that might uh, impact the timing? Will that delay the, impl- the
6: implementation of the new rule? So the the, the 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 timing aspect of it has to include the us having. Uh, I should say the Trump administration having a Department of Justice that can defend this new rule in court because like you said, it is going to be litigated. That is inevitable. You saw litigation on the 2015 rule from numerous industry and environmental groups and states across the country. Same thing's gonna happen with this new rule. As soon as it gets finalized, it's gonna go to court. It's gonna start at the district court. That was an issue that we litigated uh, to the Supreme Court. They decided to agree with us that it has to start at the district court level. So it's gonna start there and then it's gonna go up. Ultimately, I think this is going to be a Supreme Court decision. Like it's been the past three times in the past 35 years, (laughs) it'll be the fourth time that this issue goes before the Supreme Court. But now we've got a significantly different Supreme Court than we did back in 2006. We've got, Kavanaugh instead of Kennedy. We've got Gorsuch instead of Scalia. The big difference there is Kavanaugh instead of Kennedy. Kennedy was a swing vote the last time this issue went in front of the Supreme Court. Now that he's gone, you've got Kavanaugh there. He's a very staunch property rights advocate. We're going to see something I think that we're going to be happy about.
2: All right, we're talking with Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Another issue to watch, uh, manure emissions. What's going on there?
6: so with the manure emissions we call that circle of epca reporting now we got the circle of piece of it fixed last year through congress through a bill called the farm Act that ncba spearheaded and worked with our like-minded ag groups mm-hmm. to get pushed across the finish line in congress and signed by the president last march big victory now we're dealing with the epca reporting which is the other side of this piece which has to do with reporting to your state and local authorities poop smells we're talking about poop smells here mike <laughs> so your cows poop they urinate It emits hydrogen sulfide and ammonia. Those are the odor emissions. Um, Environmental groups have litigated this issue to require that agriculture has to report under these laws. Uh, That's something we disagree with fundamentally, so we fought to get the circle of peace fixed. Now EPA is taking uh, the second step to exempt farms from EPCRA reporting, so we're very happy to see that. That rule was proposed in November. They had a 30-day comment period. We commented in support of it. Comment period closed in December, and now they're going to be working on finalizing that rule and making it official law. Mm -hmm. Again, when that's finalized, environmental groups are going to litigate it, so we're gonna to have to be in a court battle to see what happens and how that shakes out. But we're on a good path there as well.
2: And one other uh, this is going to the Supreme Court when it comes to powers within the, within the government. Why explain this and why is NCBA uh, involved
6: in this? This is a case called Kaiser versus Wilkie and this has to do with something called our deference. That's a legal doctrine that says that federal agencies are deferred to by judges across the country and how they interpret their own regulations that's a mouthful but basically it means epa or any other federal agency when they're interpreting their own rules they can interpret it however they want as long as it's reasonable and a court has to agree with them so in our view it it makes these federal agencies the judge jury and executioner because not only are they writing the rules but they're in the courts of law, they're getting deference on how they interpret it. So they can kind of, they have carte blanche on how they do all these things. So it's too much power in our minds that's concentrated in federal agencies. We think it's proper to rebalance the ledger there and put some power back in the judicial branch. So we filed an amicus brief this week at the Supreme Court in this case, advocating for that position and giving examples of how this our deference has got off the rails and has really incentivized agencies to create ambiguous regulations. Because when it's ambiguous, They get our deference when it goes to the court.
2: Well, EPA being a prime example, right? I mean, even though you agree more now with EPA on this new uh, proposed rule for BOTUS, we've seen what happened with the old rule
6: and how far apart EPA and agriculture was. Well, the great thing, Mike is the old rule was drafted in a way that there were ambiguities contained within it so they can take advantage of our deference when it went to the courts. So that's the perverse incentive that this doctrine has created. We want to have rules that people can understand. We don't want them to be ambiguous. We want agencies to write clear rules that make sense and that our producers can comply with. At the end of the day, that's what we're asking for. So our deference cuts against that 100%. So we're fighting the courts to get that changed
2: always talk about ag in the courtroom we don't you, you, we don't like to have that well maybe you do that it's good for your job but it shows uh, why you need someone representing
6: you on on issues like you do and these issues get so complicated especially with epa regulations where it, it just it's just really it's some of the most complex law in the country uh and you oftentimes have to have a hydrologist and attorney to, to make sense of it for you that's one of the things we've asked for with this new rule is just make it simple make it tailored closer to the navigable waters that's in the Clean Water Act so that our guys can go out there and identify what is or what is not a WOTUS. Um, That's all we're asking for. So we think this new rule gets there. Uh, There might be some things we need to tweak, but overall it was a lot better than the 2015 rule.
2: That's Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. With that, we'll wrap it up for today, but more coming up tomorrow from here at the NCBA convention going on in New Orleans. Thanks for joining us here on AOA,